Welcome to the Learning Lounge. In this podcast series, we will tell you all about learning in a flow of work. By speaking to our KPMG experts around the globe, the Learning Lounge will give you an insight on all relevant trends around learning. Whether you want to know more about the employee experience, improving your organization's learning ability, or to reskill and upskill the workforce, this podcast is all about empowering the workforce through learning. Learn, grow, and succeed. Let's tune in for our third episode with Robert Bolton. Robert and Renee will discuss artificial intelligence and learning. Let's delve into it. Well, good day. Nice to see you again, Robert. And uh, Renee, it's lovely to be with you. Great that you, you could make this time for uh, us together to uh, record our uh, third episode already of our Learning Lounge uh, podcast. And um, I'm your host today, and with us is uh, Robert Bolton. I did, like everybody uh, listening to this podcast uh, knows him, as you should. But uh, Robert is our uh, global <laughs> head. Yes, <laughs> uh, Robert is our global head of um, People and Change and um, has an opinion about a lot of things, um, especially on learning in the flow of work, on all things related HR, and a very specific view of the future of learning and the future of HR and how we organize ourselves. So I'm thrilled to have this conversation with you today because we themed it uh, AI and uh, learning. So what will happen with artificial intelligence and the future of learning and learning in the flow of work? That's what we're going to talk about um, uh, today in this uh, podcast. Welcome again. And um, let's hear from Robert. Um, how Thank are you? you? What's Thank keeping you. you busy? Thank you, Rene. It's, uh, it's lovely to be with you. And uh, actually, what's keeping me busy is, is a big life transition. <laughs> so we heard. Uh, but that's, that's, a, that's another story, perhaps. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking to retire from... I'm still going to be uh, working for mm -hmm. KPMG as an associate, but I have a lot of, of things that I want, want to do, and uh, one of which is probably best to, to retire so that I can do things like spend time on a book and be self-indulgent with my grandkids, etc. But before I do that... Um, I've got a number of things I need to do for KPMG in the current financial year. And, and, and some of that involves uh, th this topic, which is we're, we're producing some research on the future of work. So this is very topical and I'm delighted to be talking with you on this topic. Great. Thanks a lot. And thanks also for sharing uh, uh, your uh soon to uh, retire status and i think it's actually a nice example because you say it's a completely different topic but to me it actually isn't it's all what we learn about uh, maybe even the gig economy or the hundred year life and that you have during your lifetime multiple careers and multiple learning stages so um Let's see what comes from that. And it sounds like uh, you won't uh, just sit down and rest and uh, play with the grandchildren, but uh, there's a lot to discover still. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. I won't just do that, but I will do a bit of that. A bit of that. <laughs> Let, let's um, dive into the topic. 
and uh, we said artificial intelligence and learning, and and I think we all um, see, feel, experience it around it that it's ChatGPT is everywhere. Um, we're we're trying, we're experimenting, and um, well, what what we see, for instance, from uh, research. And we, we did some pre-work and we say we saw that Goldman Sachs did a research which says as many as 300 million full-time jobs around the world will actually be impacted by artificial intelligence. And actually the same research claims that 18% of the work globally could be computerized, which I think is not exactly the same as being impacted by AI, but let's discuss um and and especially in in deeply advanced economic systems um that's a real impact it's different in in the more emerging markets um and we're also seeing in another research that the predictions of imminent economic revolutions are really overstated and this means that in reality the um the acquisitions of ai taking over our jobs are not always accurate and and that a, a lot of our jobs are probably safe from AI and um, or is that something that we really would like to believe because it's also a scary thought that my job will really be transformed or eradicated because of AI we will definitely be impacted yeah and as you know, Rene, we, we in in we did three white papers uh, titled "Rise of the Humans," and then we did a reinvention of work white paper mm-hmm. just uh, I think a couple of years ago now. And throughout those, we we were one of those um, uh, organisations that was saying, "Look, this is going to have a a fragmentary uh, partial impact." It's not going to be about, you know, whole swathes of jobs being automated. Yes, there, there is going to be automation, but there's also going to be a lot of cognitive augmentation. And Can you elaborate uh, a bit it, for our listeners, yeah, Robert, on that cognitive yeah. augmentation? So cognitive augmentation is the kind of stuff where, um, like ChatGPT, you might want to do a bit of research on, uh, as, as someone said to me just the other day, they wanted to do something which was uh, develop a, a work breakdown structure mm-hmm. and develop a work breakdown structure for transformational change. Now, pre-chat GPT, they would have, um, you know, perhaps referred to perhaps the MBA that they may have studied or they gone to a book or, you know, looks up what, what does the way breakdown structure do? Um, what do they look like, etc. And in this instance, all they did is say, give me down to level five, a work breakdown structure for transformational change. And they said that what ChatGPT came back with was about 60 to 70% what they were right. looking for. Yeah. Uh, they still required them to bring their own insight and intelligence and, and, and bring that 30%. But, you know, that's augmentation. Yeah, probably uh, even more see, so. Huh? Oh, go yeah, ahead. And we see, we see augmentation in the legal world, mm-hmm. you know, where um, 
AI can do uh, uh, dis uh, uh, discovery, legal discovery for court cases. It can draft contracts. We see it in health where AI can look at scans and do an initial diagnosis. So we see augmentation all over the place. But it, it's this is for the first time. And I was talking with uh, one of the analyst firms um, just last week. And I said, we, we've seen decades of investment in technology, digital technology, ERP technologies. You know, we've organizations have spent hundreds of millions on on technology. Has it really turned the dial on productivity? Doesn't doesn't at, at a macroeconomic level, productivity hasn't really changed. I think for the first time, we are seeing a technology in AI and particularly generative AI, which is you know ChatGPT as an example. We are seeing technology that will boost productivity, genuinely boost productivity. And why am I saying that? Well, we can all interact with it. We don't need to be coders. Mm -hmm. we, you know, it's, it's on my iPad. I've got ChatGPT on my iPad. Um, and I can ask it questions. And it gives me a head start. When Copilot, the Microsoft product, based on the OpenAI uh, uh, generative AI, is incorporated in uh, Office 365, it could summarize this conversation we're having. And it could, we could ask it to do a PowerPoint slide deck on this conversation. You know, that's what this technology is now going to do. And it will genuinely boost our productivity. Maybe then coming back to, because I, I agree with you on that completely, and I think uh, safe... Uh, no, we need to rephrase that as being impacted, but then to the point that you can create something with generative AI, which is about 60 to 70% right, requires uh, actually a new skill to work with that AI and to be able to understand that this is a 60-70% version and we still need to uh, add to that our own professionalism and our uh, context-driven insights which actually might make your uh, job more interesting or even uh, uh, more demanding. So how, yes. if you look at the developments within our own firm and uh, maybe focusing on, on KPMG uh, UK, what have you seen us doing in integrating that, that way of working? So, I, Okay, I don't think we've done as much as we are going to do. I think we are in the foothills. So, you know, you, as you know, we can access ChatGPT through our KPMG laptops. Um, but we don't yet have a version of ChatGPT that perhaps is targeted on KPMG intellectual property, for example. But I think that will all come. We will, we will move into a world where we'll have, if you will, our version of ChatGPT, a tax version, an audit version, mm -hmm. uh, and a consulting version. And, it, and that will require us to think about our delivery models. 
you know how we construct engagements and things like that we will and of course all of these technologies they're not foolproof i mean we've seen some horror stories of of what the uh, uh, some of the technologists call hallucination let's do let's do one horror story then because i see you smiling like that you have an example in mind oh well what happens if you don't use it the right way i d- i don't know all of the detail of, about some of these cases i know that a uh, a question into chat gpt led to chat gpt simply making something up about the biography of an academic and mm-hmm. and it was simply untrue yeah. and um and i've seen other instances where chat gpt is asked a question in a different context i think there was a, a legal context there was uh, um academic contexts other other situations and it 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 makes stuff up yeah i've got my private theory <laughs> that it does this because it's goal oriented i think i think you know if you ask it a question it seeks to give you an answer and for some reason sometimes those answers are, are, are just incorrect total fabrication <laughs> Um, and the so, lo- the logical level of yeah. thinking is also interesting. We had we did a workshop with our team, and uh, we did a case on ask ChatGPT uh, how long it will take to dry laundry in the sun. So I have so ask ask ChatGPT. I have three pieces of laundry, and it takes them three hours to dry in the sun. Now I have five pieces of laundry. How long will it take to dry for them? Well, it makes complete, very, very uh, yeah. difficult um, calculations and, and logic. Uh, yes. Yeah. You need the human. It's like all of this technology, uh, more broadly, digital technology. Yes, this is why it's so exciting to be in people and change, Rene, because um, more and more, I, I said, you know, th- these technologies it's easy for for people to use it it's going to be embedded in in 365 and things like that but what that means is if we are to make organizations more productive if we are going to create the brand new jobs of the future if we are going to help workforces and our you know and our clients workforces optimize and and reorganize themselves reshape themselves it's all about the people and change aspects. You know, there's so much for us to do. And we know that learning, you know, you, you, you yourself pointed out, we, we need people and lots of people in enterprises beyond the technology function to understand how this stuff works. What is generative AI? What's a large language model? What does it do and what does it not do? Yeah. And and we need all sorts of people in, in, in all parts of the enterprise to understand this stuff at a user level, a practitioner level. Let's, okay, let's dive into that, the, uh, Robert, for, yeah, for, for a minute, yeah. because I think that's a very valid point. Uh, the um, technology is very easy to use, but that doesn't mean it's easy to use. 
because it comes with uh, a responsibility and a, a body of knowledge that you need to have to understand whether what you get back is is valid and and useful in context. So how do we go about in organizations in training and educating people uh, how to use it in a responsible and and really effective way that it will indeed improve our productivity rather than that it's a nice tool and uh and yeah um there's no one thing no it's it's probably a lot of things like it's a mixture of things i think we should yes i think we should allow people to access some learning simply some learning that introduces what this stuff is and some of the use cases and and uh you know give them that level of insight but i think there's also something about the role of middle managers i i so here's a hypothesis that um we need to understand and test and and we are kind of exploring it in in some forthcoming research that's going to come out from the coe about the future of work it's that that the role of the middle manager is going to have to shift much more in that direction of coach and enabler um and 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 someone that it acts as a to use that jargon phrase a sherpa a sherpa to the employees mm-hmm. which is about I like the metaphor yeah 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 um and and there's some interesting organizations that are already looking at the role of the middle manager and saying that there are certain people that need to be the manager of task and output but we we we're going to make them do that and concentrate uh, on another group of middle managers and we're going to say to them your sole role is to be a, a, a manager of people in that coaching context so you know how how we get greater collaboration how we get greater innovation how we get sensible use of these technologies and how we get sensible redesign of teams and functions that has to come from upskilled and reskilled middle managers and they need you know going back to your question yeah. they need to play a role in this 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 activity which is how do you make the most of these technologies and and they have to align with those middle managers that are um, responsible for the task and the output to really understand what level of skills are needed to perform the required yeah. outputs and tasks and then makes sense yes yeah but yeah. it's, and, it's and a totally different model of organizing huh i think that's what we will see more and more you know we will see um organization design that needs to become more fluid you yourself use that g word gigs you mm-hmm. know that there are organizations that actually see their their organization design as a as a container for gigs and a container for the trading and matching of skills to tasks. What we see with the talent marketplace is coming about in the organization. Exactly. Yeah. Talent marketplaces yeah. and this fluid, you know, oh, there's a project over here, let's get, you know, uh, the, 
different groups of people working on that project. It's not necessarily their day job. In fact, the degree to which anyone has a day job is, is you know, morphing into, you know, I, I have a set of skills. I'm going to continue to update my skills and I'm going to uh, apply them to projects and tasks and gigs. And therefore, that requires a more fluid, dynamic uh, kind of organization. Now, that kind of organization lends itself to certain uh, knowledge work. So we, we are seeing this in in uh, like pharmaceuticals. We're seeing this happening more. But it's also happening in what you might regard as relatively traditional organizations like uh, insurance. You know, I know now a number of organizations in the insurance world that are seeking to uh because that they are having to move so quickly they're having to spin up projects they have to having to address issues they are spinning up their talent marketplace as well and what that requires that you know the foundation for for them is to have a really good understanding of skills mm -hmm. both the skills that exist in the workforce but the skills that are going to be needed um in the future uh, which, of course, plays to, you know, the, one of the topics that I know you're incredibly interested in, learning in the flow of work. Yeah. But actually, I think learning in the flow of work is morphing into learning in the flow of life. It's, it, you know, it's not just a, oh, I'll learn in work and I'll learn outside of work. It's I learning think in the flow regardless of the context, yeah. Learning and and that's, how people learn, huh? that's, yeah. that's how people learn. That's how people learn, I think, uh, anyway. It's, it's an interesting perspective you take also on how that will impact our organizational design or how people look at work and look at uh, job descriptions and how they relate to that. Because I know from our research last year, uh, the, the, the HR pathfinders also stipulated that uh, being purpose-driven and having a, the purpose front and center of your organization is a really big topic. But that also makes sense because if you don't have a real task or job to really relate to, but it's I connect to this organization and I offer my skills and I continue to grow and develop them, then I need to feel a much stronger connection to the purpose of the organization because the task is continuously changing and yes. adapting itself. Yeah. And, and and I think it's 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 not either or. It's and I and, would say it's and and, and and both. Yeah. So we're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater and therefore getting rid of jobs. Jobs aren't sometimes I you really need them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, you need a often what the pathfinders have taught us is you you need to actually think about your job architecture. But that means you perhaps are not overly prescriptive down to the nth degree of detail about what a job is what it includes what it excludes so some some sense of broader job levels you know uh, more multi-skilling yeah. but yes also what are the skills people have how can we make best use of those skills around the tasks and projects as well maybe so it's and both and both i like that and maybe looking at that uh, skills level uh, and, and, and how we are going to develop these skills, that's really looking uh, at organizations through the lens of learning and development. If you look at the challenges on the learning and development agenda, we discussed a bit on learning in the flow of life. I like that. We'll, we'll keep that 
we we keep broadcasting that. Uh, what other challenges do you see on that learning and development agenda for our listeners? Well, I think I think some of it's wrapped up in the idea of the skills ontology. That's not a bit of jargon. Well, Let, it is a bit of jargon. Yes, do educate <laughs> do educate the listeners. Uh. But 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 it's not what it isn't is what we used to refer to as a competence framework or a you know a skills taxonomy which is fairly static you know a picture in time undynamic a skills ontology by its very nature has to be enabled with and through technology so it does things like you know what, what is this job that someone is doing and it infers using algorithms using you know using various aspects of of uh, both um, what we already know. If a, if someone does uh, project management, you can infer what kind of skills are they likely to have. Hmm. But also through uh, a, a, an analytics capability called organization network analysis, that's another way of triangulating what skills someone has because you look at who do they interact with on a daily basis who what is their network and what do they talk to people about well that's another way of inferring the skills that an individual has so there's technology out there that allows you to infer what are the skills any individual has and then you step back and you look at okay well what is the map of skills at the enterprise level who has what where this technology is going to go is not only what are the current skills, but it's going to use, again, artificial intelligence to kind of suggest, actually, the skills of the people in this business unit, in this marketplace, are going to need to evolve. You need to start upskilling and reskilling them on these topics. So it's, it's going to be a more e evolving and dynamic picture at the skills level and that of course once you have this view not only of what what are the skills people have but what are the skills they're going to need who needs to be upskilled who needs to be reskilled in what and when and that's when the enterprise needs to shift into gear and and help either the those middle managers that we spoke about but also through the learning function help those organizations deliver that learning uh, and, and, and as we know learning can occur in any number of ways it's not just a, a formal course that that's an interesting perspective and i think where we started with uh, uh ai does Im ha impact all of us but actually it requires to for all of us also to make a step up in uh learning how we will use it in a productive, ethical, uh, sustainable way. And and when you were talking about this skills ontology and, and how that comes about, I was also thinking that's an interesting perspective on how it will impact recruitment. Because if you're much more specific on what skills you need, it might also be easier to target different groups or, or people that you would otherwise um, maybe not be able to find 
by just articulating what you need in a different way because I think a lot of recruitment uh, uh, phrases are are still very generic and and all fishing in the same pond and I saw some research that really um, addressed different uh, the same job or the same profile in different language and then the difference in attracting uh, the number of people that's amazing that's as well spot on that yeah. is absolutely spot on you know the, the the if you if you say well i've got a job that is titled project manager and you think oh, i need to fill this job and you therefore go to the marketplace and you say find me a, or, or to the recruitment function find me a project manager well that that cuts off so many people yeah. that might actually have the skills, the skills. That you're looking yeah. for yeah uh, which might be about, um, you know, not necessarily managing projects, but perhaps delivering dynamic. Um, Connecting people or uh, managing the yeah, politics or exactly. uh, it depends exactly. on the project. But but yeah. to that point, that also requires back to your middle manager uh, being much more clear about the output you actually intend to create together. Yes. And I think yes. that's a real challenge in organizations, uh, being clear about what we would like to achieve together and what that requires from uh, what type of task that requires and yeah. how to conduct them. Yeah, I, I completely yeah. agree. It's, it's um, I genuinely think, Rene, that we are... We're in the early stages of seeing quite radically different types of organisation. Yeah. You know, we, I know I that we've had we've had things kicking back. You know, with 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 you know the, the chief executive of Amazon saying, "Oh, everyone's got to get back in the office three days a week," and we've we've you know we've heard a lot of people you know, arguing against as much hybrid working as many people are, are are experiencing. But I think the genie is out of the bottle overall. And it's not just about hybrid working. It it is about this this combination, this cocktail of productivity boosting artificial intelligence, of different wants and needs about the employee deal and 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 what people want in terms of experiences, about how you provide learning about uh, and learning in the flow of life as opposed to just learning in the flow of the job you're currently doing. And and yes, a more adult to adult conversation about hybrid. Hybrid working, not the parent to child version, which is be in the office three days a week. Yeah. And which we typically see from. And the old-fashioned leadership styles, that it's, the paradigm is still that. And, and that. Far be it from me to yeah. call some of these people old-fashioned. Yeah. But yes, I agree <laughs> with you, Renee. <laughs> I agree with you, Renee. <laughs> Wrong choice of word in English. <laughs> no, but, no, uh, no. Ap apologies, yeah. but I think we, we understand apologize. What, what we mean. Don't apologize. It's, it, yeah. it takes a different um, uh, paradigm, a different um, yeah. mindset. and. Um, yeah. Well, it, this is a really interesting conversation and so much to still talk about. And I realize also that we're uh, nearing um, our, our time. Uh, we're almost uh, ran out of recording time. Um, are there topics, Robert, that you think 
we should have really touched on that, but we didn't. And that you would like to make some small remarks. Oh gosh, Renee, that's a challenge, isn't it? Because you know, I could, I could just go off on, on one, and, and on, we could be yeah. here for for hours, hours, for I, days, I, I, probably. I, yeah, I think we've touched on all the main points. I think that this notion of workforce shaping as an activity that organisations need to do and that we can help them with shaping. Uh, what the workforce looks like, the skills that it has, um, the, the where the work is done, how much of the work is done by bots. You know, I've used the shorthand in the past, mm -hmm. the five Bs. You know, who do you buy from the marketplace? Who do you borrow from the marketplace? Um who what do you build in terms of skills that's the upskilling and reskilling what what do you give in terms of tasks to the bot and the fifth the fifth b of the five b's is where do you base people so buy build borrow bot and base and it's, this is why organizations are coming to us and they're using the um the old fashioned language they're saying oh i think we need to do strategic workforce planning and I, I tend to, that, that tends to set me off because <laughs> I actually think to myself, no, strategic workforce planning isn't your answer. You need to do dynamic, agile workforce shaping because you need to hold a number of different scenarios in play. That's a huge and, leap. Which is a different discipline. But yeah. every organization is going to need it now. Every organization. Unfortunately, and, um, this is not television because otherwise you yeah. could have seen how passionate robert says that you need it we all need yeah. that definitely we do we do but if i keep going we will be here all night so okay. uh, let's say we've covered the topics we covered a lot of topics I, I i sort of have one in my head which we totally didn't touch upon is actually the relation between ai and esg and the environmental impact of us automating in this speed and with this yeah and we, uh, there's other things that we haven't properly covered you know uh, yes there's that diversity and inclusion we haven't really covered uh we haven't integrity ethical the, the, uh, the and also the ethics yeah and governance around ai you know you you, you can't just blithely apply this technology perhaps in the way that we've suggested <laughs> that you can and not also think about some of the governance implications you know how how could how much do you trust the training data that the machine learning has been trained on things like that Th these are important topics as well uh, i think you can't retire robert and we need to do another podcast well but i'm I, you will be able to find me. I'll make sure that you have my email address. We'll find I'm, I'm you. Right. We'll find you. Um, whether it's uh, via email or um, or wherever in the world. Thanks a lot for this um, very meaningful conversation and your, uh, your insights. Um, very helpful and inspiring as always. And to our listeners, thank you for listening and hope to um, tune in next time. Thank you. It's Have been a, a pleasure. Day. It really has.